up on today's show, Markham Hislop will join us to break down Premier Kenny's address to the U.S. Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. What's going on in the CFL? Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks, will join us. And sports betting. If you've watched any hockey games over the playoffs, you know ads for sports betting are just one after another. Right now, we're going to chat with Markham Hislop about um, our Premier heading off to Washington to sell Alberta Energy. Um in the United States. Uh, Markham is an energy journalist and publisher of Energy News. Uh, Markham, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time, sir. Go Flames. Yeah, I saw you tweeting this weekend. I was going to ask you, you're a Flames fan, hey? For a long time, uh, ever since um, the 2004, and, and well, actually before, but uh, I, love, I love me some Sutter hockey. Uh, defense <laughs> first. That's the way to go. That's the way to win championships. Well, we'll see if they can win a series, let alone a championship. They're in a bit of a hole here, Markham. <laughs> oh dear, uh, I, I don't know. I have never. Uh, I used to, you know I played competitive hockey back in the day. I've never seen anybody like Connor McDavid. It's crazy, goodness gracious, that guy is something else. Yeah, it's it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, if Calgary can come up with, uh, everybody says there's no answer to McDavid. They can't find an answer. Well, if they can come up with it, they probably crack the code. Everyone will want to use it. But uh, yeah, he's just on yeah. fire right now. Okay, indeed. The real reason. We brought you on to talk today. Um, the premier was in um, Washington last week, and he was speaking with uh, a very, very influential um, Senate subcommittee. He was speaking before the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Um, and I don't know about you, Mark. I, I, I've long said, and I don't know how effective this was, but this is the kind of thing we need to do a better job of in Alberta: is selling the positive attributes to the energy sector in our province. Because I and you and I have argued a bit about this before. I think, I mean. Oil and gas aren't going away immediately. They're going to res- remain for some time, and we need to do a better job of selling the positives. And you and I have argued about whether it's ethical or not, but what did you think about Premier Kenny going down to Washington? Well, uh, I thought he made a pretty good case. I mean, this is great political theater for Kenny. Kenny, when you put him on an international stage like this in, in front of senators and the cameras are on him, and he was there with uh, Federal Minister Jonathan Wilkinson and the Quebec Energy Minister, and I mean, he, he loves to perform on that stage, and, and he did just a fine job. But he also made some very interesting arguments that I think deserve a, uh, a second look uh, because they actually contradict his own argument for the Keystone XL and or Keystone 2.0, which he argued for in front of that committee. Yeah, I mean, he said Keystone XL is done and dusted, I believe was the quote. But yeah, he's talking about he increasing war pipelines. So so what stuck out? What, what did you see as contradictory? Let me read this uh, quote for you, and then I'll go through the numbers that he provided to the committee. So he said, between current unused capacity in the North American pipeline system and the prospect of pipeline optimization, plus the completion of Trans Mountain expansion, Alberta will be able to increase exports by over 1 million barrels a day within a few years. So here's the numbers. 300,000 barrels a day of current unused pipeline capacity. He says that can be by year's end, that can be up and running, right? Yep. 200,000 barrels a day by by rail. Now, we're only at around a little over 100 now, and there's been a maximum, I think we peaked in 2020 at at 400,000, so maybe his numbers might even be a bit low. Uh, 400,000 barrels a day of pipeline reversals and optimization. So the industry has been talking about this for years. The industry, pipeline industry has been very clever and very innovative on squeezing more capacity out of their existing pipes. 
And then he's, and then the last one is 525,000 barrels a day of, uh, from, from Trans Mountain Expansion. Add them all up, that's 1.4 million barrels a day of new shipping capacity. Okay. That's, and, and Alberta makes, Alberta produces 4 million barrels a day. So essentially, just by using the existing system, Alberta could increase production by a third. Okay. Within a very within a very short period of time. So why would you need another eight hundred and thirty thousand barrel a day pipeline in Keystone, the US or whatever it is, when you've already got one point four million barrels a day coming on stream? The other question, Mark. I mean, yeah, I mean, good point. I hear what you're saying. Can can we can we meet that? Can we that increased capacity to ship? Can we meet that production capacity? All of the increased uh, production uh, that will come out of Alberta this decade is going to be from the oil sands. Right. There's, you know, this the, the conventional production is stuck at around 500,000 barrels a day, and it's it's not going to increase significantly. So it's going to come from the oil sands. And so if you're an, an oil sands producer and you expand your production of steam-assisted gravity drainage or mining, that's a 30- to 50-year investment for you. And it's expensive, you know, it's easy for for uh, for projects to get you know a billion dollars or more, and so if you are looking out at the energy landscape today, where the International Energy Agency is predicting peak oil demand by the early 2030s at the latest, and you're looking at uh, what's going on in in Europe as Europe tries to get off Russian oil, and is electric, is, the intent is they and they released a. a, a a strategy uh, last week called Re, uh, Repower EU, where basically they're going to try to electrify everything, including transportation, which is where they use oil. And you're looking at that and, and investing in a lot more production is not a great idea. It's just too uncertain. Right. It's, it's not, we don't know what oil production is going to be because oil now has a competitor in electricity. And so what oil companies tend to do in cases like that is stick to their knitting and not make a lot of, you know, risky bets. So could we do it? Uh, sure. Uh, is there a market? Remember, keep in mind, Shay, in the U.S., there are only 5.5 million barrels of heavy crude refining capacity in the entire country. And the two and a half of those are in uh, the U.S. Gulf Coast, and then about I think about five hundred thousand in California, and the rest is in the American uh, Midwest. And that's it. You can't re- you can't refine heavy crude bitumen, uh, dilbit. You can't ref- in a in a regularly kitted refinery. You need a special kit for it. Right. And there's there's a limited market. It's only about twenty five percent of the the U.S. market. So all, it's a really complex equation that doesn't have any easy answers. One of the points that he brought up repeatedly, and I, I want to get the what you think the truth is here. He was down there talking about the fact that, you know, you're running off to Saudi Arabia, you're running off to Venezuela. Why aren't you talking to us? And then the Minister of Environment, Wilkinson, stood up and said, well, we are. We, we've talked to a lot of them. We're, we're, we're involved in some of these discussions. So, I mean... Is Alberta overlooked? I mean, we already supply over 50% of the uh, imports to the United States. I mean, can we do a better job? That seems to be one of the the drums that Kenny likes to beat on. And it makes sense to me. We should be the first place you look at. He says, bring us into the... um the uh, Defense Protection Act so that we have to be the first choice for Americans. Um, Does that make sense? 
Right. So what he was uh, annoyed about, and uh, uh, Premier Kenny has been on and on for years now about, you know, blood oil, dictator oil, conflict oil, and so on. The problem is, if you need to step on, step up uh, production in the short term, who's got it? Who's got spare capacity? Well, that would be that would be Saudi Arabia. You can't you can't go to the again getting back to the the oil sands producers. You can't go to them and say, hey, can we have another uh, you know two hundred fifty thousand barrels a day by next week, or next month, or next quarter? Doesn't work that way. So there's there's a, a pretty good reason why Biden went to the uh, to the uh, to OPEC or called for OPEC to to increase uh, production. And here's another thing, uh, and I this is, doesn't get enough attention in Alberta. Uh, just a couple months ago, Mexico announced that it's going to, as of 2024, it's going to stop exporting 600,000 barrels a day of of Maya heavy to the U.S. Gulf Coast. So that's a major, Mexico's always been a competitor of Alberta, and they're going to stop all exports because they want to, they want to refine it at home. So all of a sudden, we've got, uh, we've got declining uh, production of heavy in California. So there's a market there for, for uh, heavy crude shipped on Trans Mountain expansion. We've got uh, very strong demand down in, in the Houston area, down in the, in the Gulf Coast. The, the, the Canadian producers have got about all the demand they can handle for the next few years. So, you know, this is great political theater, but at yeah. the end of the day, there's a reason why the oil, the oil sands companies aren't, you know, taking center stage in this debate. That's the question I wanted to ask, Mark. I mean, we'll leave it at that uh, after this uh, question. With with Kenny, and we were talking about it earlier, how Daniel Smith says he needs to do a better job of fighting Ottawa. Well, he fought all the fights. They just weren't winnable. Uh, but they weren't before he started. He, But he's more than willing to engage in these kinds of, as you say, political theater exercises to make it look like this is happening, and he's pushing this envelope, and he's down there, and he's in Washington, and he's talking to this committee. Does it actually move the needle? Is it for him or is it for increasing Alberta energy exports? It's for him. I, there, there, is, uh, there is no benefit uh, to, uh, for uh, immediate benefit, maybe even long-term benefit, uh, for him uh, pounding on, you know, up on his soapbox like that. And it's, 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 it's for the Alberta audience there. And within the industry, the industry is kind of split on this. There, uh, there are, you know, CEOs and executives who really like that kind of fight back language. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, the, uh, but there are a lot, according to my sources, there are plenty who sit there and shake their head and, and think that he does more harm than good. Well, that's just like the voters, too. I mean, it's basically the same kind of breakdown when you talk about voters in the province. A lot of this stuff, people love it. They love the fight. And then there's other people going, yeah, well, pick a fight you can win. Let's try that for a while. Well, and, you know, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, working with uh, the senior government when it has jurisdiction over things like, uh, you know, uh, pipelines across borders or uh, environmental assessment of big projects. I mean, at some point, you have to cooperate with those who have jurisdiction and not be fighting them all the time. Yeah, makes sense. Markham, always a good discussion. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Take care. That's Markham Hislop, who is an energy journalist and publisher of Energy News. That's E-N-E-R-G-I News. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he got a good audience, and that committee that he spoke to is very influential. How influential? Will it make a difference? So, uh, CFL preseason, I think... 
was actually supposed to have started on the weekend or yesterday. I'm, I'm not 100% sure we can find out, but uh, very, very soon for all of the clubs to be involved. But then uh, things got derailed again yesterday. Not sure exactly what happened. Uh, let's check in with Morley Scott now. He's the voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Chet. So, Morley, we talked last week, and we talked about how the CFLPA and the CFL had come up with a deal, uh, a tentative agreement, and we thought, okay, great, strike's over, everything's good. Uh, what happened? Uh, the players ended up getting the vote thrown towards them uh, for their opinion, and they voted it down. They voted no and rejected the offer. So the, the PA negotiating group got the deal. They gave it to the, the, each team's player reps who looked at it, and everybody recommended that the players vote for it, and they didn't. They voted no, and it's put us into a very, uh, I don't know, really. It's, it's very, nobody really knows what the next step is and how this is going to affect anything. I can tell you. I'm at Commonwealth right now, and the Elks are on the field practicing. And word is that the, the Eastern teams had started a few hours ago were on the field practicing as well today. There's also word that negotiations are back on, and the CFL has made a new offer and made some changes. But uh, this thing has not gone the way most people had thought it would. Uh, there's been a lot of twists and turns in this. Everyone thought they would get it done before camp, and there'd be no, uh, no job action. And then the players ended up going on strike. And then when they got the deal done, everyone figured, oh, they'll rattle fight and then they didn't and so I'm, I'm hesitant to say we're on our way to getting it settled again but uh, lots of reports around the league are that the, the league has made a new uh, proposal to the players association with some changes that the players wanted to see and now I guess it's up to the players association to take it back to the players for I guess another vote so we'll, we'll have to wait a couple of more days but it looks like as of right now everything's going to be business as usual for the CFL shake. Interesting. Okay, well, that's good to hear. So the sticking point here, just reading the global story, uh, one of the things that it says, one of the things that bothered many Canadian players to the point where there were legitimate concerns whether or not it would be ratified was this change to how many Canadians have to play. Is that, does that seem to be the, the, the primary sticking point? Do you even know? I mean, has anybody come out publicly and said why they voted against this? No, no one's come out with it. No one's had a chance to really talk about it. Uh, we, we've seen some We've seen some issues stated on social media, but that I found it was more from the American players last night talking, and they don't seem very happy with this because I think the American players think that the Canadian players are driving the no vote because it's going to take away a couple of – it could possibly – take away right. a couple of Canadian jobs in the future. It's a very complicated system that they put into place. Right now, you have to have seven Canadian starters on your team, either you know uh, combined offense and defense, seven between the two. Uh, that could go down to as low as five and a half, kind of, because they're going to allow three Americans to be what they're calling nationalized uh, Canadians, which means they've been on the same team for three years or they've been in the league for four or five years. So it's it's those players like a Simone Lawrence in Hamilton, like uh, back in the day of Darius Bowman and Odell Willis yeah, and those guys. Yeah. Uh, so it's just the longtime players, right? And they get a chance. And, and what the rule is going to be is uh, 49% of the, they could play 49% of the snaps in a game as a Canadian. Uh, which meant the other 51% of the snaps in that game had to be played by a Canadian at that position. So the, when you look at it, if they're going to allow three, that's a job and a half basically lost uh, you know, to this you know, in the long run. So that's why the Canadian players aren't happy with it. And, of course, the Canadian players at some points are the highest-paid players right, in, in certain positions, especially along the offensive line. So that seems to be what the sticking point is. There also is some talk that uh, players were expecting a ratification bonus which I guess they got the last couple of times, but um, from anyone who's been involved, they said this has not been discussed, or at least not discussed publicly, if that was on the table or not. So that seems to be one issue. But apparently the league has uh, made changes back in the in the ratio, and they've also upped 
the uh, salary cap a little bit moving forward. So we'll see if that's enough to get it done or not. Uh, we're just going to have to wait. We expect after practice today to talk with the Elks player reps and, and try and get more information, although they'll use the same line they've been using all last week. i got to go in and check my phones. I don't know if anything's new. So, you know, it, it, it's been a convenient it's been a convenient out for the player reps uh, on every team at the end of practicing. I don't know. I haven't checked my phone for three hours. So we'll see. So right now it's, uh, I mean, they're on the field, uh, and apparently there's a new deal that's been put on the table. So full speed ahead, barring another setback if there is a new deal and it goes to voting, I guess. We just have to maintain what we're doing here and keep our fingers yeah, crossed? I, I think so. I think that's the situation. And I don't think the games on the weekend, uh, the preseason games, will be affected because you have to have time to get the deal done, and then you have to have time for the Players Association to get it out to all the players. And you can't do that immediately. They want to meet with the players as well. So that's going to take a day or two, I believe. So um, I don't think they can really call the games off at this point. So, you know, if you do that, if the players walk out, you know, just before the preseason games, then that's a whole new ball of wax, right? And yeah, then the, for the sure. owners are going to start saying, well, we're going to take this off the table. We're going to take that off the table as well. So uh, fingers crossed it's going to it's going to sort itself all out in the next 48 hours or so. Yeah, let's hope so. Okay, thanks for the update, Marley. Appreciate it. Anytime, Jake. That's Morley Scott, play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Elks. On 6.30, Chad, regular season is scheduled to kick off June 9th. So, uh, clock ticking. Sports betting ads that have completely taken over um, television broadcasts of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I'm with you. I'm there. I've watched a lot of games, and you're right. Every single commercial break has at least one of these ads. Um, during the game, lots of times, if you'll notice, they do the uh, squeeze where half the screen gets pushed uh, to the game and the other half becomes some sort of ad. Uh, they have the segments during the intermissions now where they go to those two guys and talk about the latest lines and things like that. So it's really become part of at least the television broadcast. How many people are jumping in? I don't know how much of an impact it's having. Are people really getting involved in this? Um, I don't know, but it certainly is a change. We're going to chat now with Dr. Michael Narain, who's a professor in the Department of Sports and Management at Brock University. Uh, Dr. Narain, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Oh, oh, not a problem. It's a pleasure to be on with you, Shay. It really is remarkable when you sit down to watch a hockey game. And I'm hearing, I mean, that's pretty much all I've been watching, but I'm hearing from other people, it doesn't matter if you're watching baseball or soccer, it's the same thing. It's constant. The advertising is just everywhere right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty pervasive, and and to be honest, uh, Shay, it's unsurprising. I mean, what what we know about this space, uh, given that it's so new here in Canada, but not new around the world, is that the game right now is about customer acquisition. And I didn't mean to use the pun there, but it's it's it is about customer acquisition. And so the only way in which these operators are going to get um, what they're looking for, which is increased revenue, is by getting. Uh, into the eyeballs of the consumer. And to do that, they need to mass advertise. And that's through uh, out of the home, so traditional billboards, through social media, and of course, through television. And so, yeah, as you alluded to, if you're watching the Battle of Alberta, um, or you're watching, you know, maybe the French Open, doesn't really matter what what your game is, you're going to see a lot of these ads, because again, the goal is to get the consumer into their specific ecosystem, there being each individual operator, because once you're in the ecosystem, then they can start to incentivize your gaming habits with promotional uh, content. So I guess it's sort of this is all brand new and they're scrambling to try and get as much market share as they can now that everybody's experiencing this for the first time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the, the, the analogy here is the cannabis rollout a, a couple of years ago. And so, and, and I'm not too familiar with how cannabis has rolled out in Alberta, but specifically in Ontario, what we saw was a lot of players come out, um, you know, try to get licenses from the government. And then it, over this period of time, there's been a bit of consolidation. And now it's, it's not as, you know, hot topic buzz, but we've seen this in the gambling space around the world that, you know, here in Ontario specifically, there are about 30 licensees that have been approved by iGaming Ontario through the framework. But ultimately, in the next, say, five to ten years, Shay, there's probably going to be about six to seven major players okay. that are left once the dust settles. Yeah. Gotcha. So this, what about this level of advertising? Will that tail off, too, as they sort of lock down the prospective number of gamblers and they've got their share and they don't need to try and hook as many people anymore? Uh, no, it's, it's going to be a pretty pervasive, <laughs> consistent thing. I mean, because you got to think about it. I mean, the game here is customer acquisition and growth. And so, you know, once you've got people into your ecosystem, that's great. But you also need to then try to take away market share from the operator, uh, the other operators. Now, the, the really interesting thing about this, Shay, is that we know from the research that consumers don't just go with one uh, operator. I'll, I'll call it one team. That, if, you know, for someone who is into this type of uh, habit, they're going to have multiple operators on their phone, on their tablets, because different operators offer different odds and different events. And so, um, y- you know, e- even for myself, I can say anecdotally, I don't just have one app. I've got multiple, and they do offer different promotions okay. and different things. And so the, the part of this challenge will also be you're going to continue to see lots of ads. Because you're not just going to have one, you know, you're not just going to drive a Toyota or drive a Ford. You're going to have a whole slew um, of inventory on your phone. And, and that's part of what makes this such a dynamic space. Interesting, because I was going to ask, because it seems like you go into a casino and they're all the same, but there are some differences between these different apps, hey? Yeah, the, the, there's no loyalty here. I mean, the, for the consumer, the consumer's most uh, concerned with who's going to provide me with the best odds as well as who's going to give me the best promotions. And so whether it's a, a you know major conglomerate like BetMGM and their ability to leverage their casino offering and their loyalty yeah. program, or whether it's another uh, uh, you know operator like a, a DraftKings, which has this sort of ecosystem of uh, you know rewards and, 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 and merchandise and influencers. And, and you know, there's, there's obviously a lot in between there. I think what's also interesting really quickly, Shay, if I can, is is also mention that the provincial lottery corporation could be at risk of kind of being left uh, to, to the slaughter, really, because we're seeing that here in Ontario. Now that we're in an election phase, and I'm not sure when Alberta, I think, you know, 2023 is perhaps the, the latest that an election will be called in Alberta, but here in Ontario... Uh, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation really can't do anything right now because they're in caretaker mode due to the election. And so it's, it's also another layer to this is how much revenue can the province generate from their own book, but also from the taxes that are incurred from each individual bet. And here in Ontario, we're at a 20% rate, uh, but we know some jurisdictions in the United States they have, uh, you know, New York State, for instance, has 51% tax rate oh, wow. on their gaming. So, so, so there's an opportunity here for Alberta and, and certainly the other jurisdictions here in Canada to make decent coin uh, off of this new world. So, you know, as much as consumers have to put up with the ads, they, you know, there, there hopefully will be uh, some benefit to this as far as, you know, uh, adding to the public coffer. Um how much money are these companies willing to spend? I mean, you look at the talent, Doc. We're talking Gretzky, um, McDavid, Austin Matthews, Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, um, Mm -hmm. Jamie Foxx. I mean, they're not going cheap with this advertising campaign. They must be expecting huge returns. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as I alluded to off the top, I mean, the goal in the game here is customer acquisition. And yeah. so using influencers like Gretzky and McDavid, um, you know, that's, the, I mean, you know, Jamie Foxx is part of their, their sort of North American strategy. And same thing with Jesse Pinkman uh, for Bet365, part of a global strategy, use the same person over and over again. But yeah, I think it's a testament to what these operators are willing to pay. And we, we do know, that, again, it's, it's anecdotal and a bit of research combined here, but it's the, the threshold is roughly around $750 per customer in terms of the operators being comfortable in spending that in order to acquire a new customer. And if you think about that, that's a lot of money. And so in the aggregate, if you think about all of the new customers they'll get, it justifies the spend of Connor McDavid. It justifies the spend of a Gretzky, as well as, okay, if you deposit $250, we'll give you an extra $250 in bonus play. And really quickly, Shay, it's also worth mentioning that you know, a lot of this conversation is about sports betting. And yeah. so, yeah, we're watching the Battle of Alberta and we're going to see all these ads. But sport is the bait and tackle that gets the consumer into the ecosystem. And the thing that we haven't been talking about here in Canada over the last decade is that, yes, we've been constrained as the consumer, um, you know, when it comes to single game sports betting. But once you're in these ecosystems, there is a much bigger challenge, which is the consumer swapping over to the casino online system. And within all of these operator apps, Yes, you can bet on the Battle of Alberta, but that you have to wait till seven thirty before you know puck drops. Yeah. You can bet on black. You can bet on roulette and and, and uh, uh, you know uh, craps and and slots, and you can do those things instantaneously. And so the greater risk of addiction behavior happens with the casino. And to be honest with you, Shay, that's where the revenue generation comes from. It's not from the sports books. It's from the casino element to these apps. Interesting. So they just want to get you into that ecosystem they've created, and that's when they're going to make their money back. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you give me, you know, if you say, uh, you know, hey, Mike, I would like you to deposit $100, and I'll give you $100 in free play. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a great incentive. And, you know, maybe I put down 5 bucks on, on the Flames or, or the Oilers, uh, whoever we're cheering for on, on this call. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll put 5 bucks down. But I have to wait till 7.30. If I'm in that spirit of, oh, yeah. I've got yeah. some free bets here to ride with, oh, maybe I'll jump over to the casino side of the app, which is built a built-in feature in all of these apps, I should say. And yeah, I could put, they've got uh, table games and slots 365, 24-7, um, live dealers, you know, handing you out uh, blackjack cards and, and you could play right now. And so wow. that's where the risk of addiction truly takes another level. I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, you know what? We, we've prevented horse racing uh, bets through iGaming here in Ontario, and we were preventing, you know, certain elements. And but you, there's only X amount of games you can bet on. Fair enough, but you have to wait till seven thirty. You can do that through a casino on those apps right this second, and that's what's really scary. That is, that absolutely is. Uh, Doc, thanks so much for the discussion. Great information. I really appreciate it. Oh, not a problem. Anytime. Have a great day. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Um, Michael Narain, who's a professor in the Department of Sports and Management at Brock University, and he's mentioning the addiction aspect to it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.